now for the sermon text reading. It comes from John 2, 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out and the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from. Though the servants had drawn the water, he knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, but when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, it's great to be with you guys again. Uh, this has been uh, a treat for me and for my family. We've been able to worship with you guys, um, I think, four out of the last five Sundays. Um, and you guys have been a wonderful home away from home for us. I preached a number of weeks ago here and, and told you that uh, I recently resigned from the church I had pastored for 12 years. And so we've been in a time of transition, of prayer, seeking the Lord, and he has graciously uh, led us to our next assignment. We're in the process of moving up to Marietta, uh, where I've got a position at a church called Christ the Redeemer. Uh, So just a little update on me and us. Uh, But it's a privilege to get to come and uh, open the word with you in this sermon series called Seeing, Savoring, and Sharing Jesus. Uh, And as I... Uh, have looked through the sermons on your website. They All the sermons begin with uh, the word encountering, encountering Jesus in a variety of places, in a variety of ways. And uh, this morning we're looking at uh, the idea that we can encounter Jesus in our everyday lives, in the ups and downs, the struggles, frustrations, and joys of everyday life. And so I'm excited for us to open up this passage um, as way of introduction, uh, I was thinking about uh, a conversation I had this week. I had the opportunity to get together, uh, actually my whole family, and I got together with some old friends. We used to go to the same church over a decade ago. And uh, it, was, it was a wonderful time of reconnection, of telling stories, of catching up. Uh, but one of the things that was noteworthy was in this group, uh, a few of, of our dear friends have... Um, walked away from their Christian faith. And some have walked not away from their faith, and they wouldn't say away from Jesus, but they've walked away from the local church. And um, 
lot of them expressed disappointment and frustration with the church in the, the day and age in which we live today. And I, as I was reflecting and meditating on our passage this morning and writing the sermon, I thought, maybe you can relate to where some of our friends are. Um, you're here today by God's grace, and we're thankful for that, but maybe you, you too are deeply disappointed in Christ's church, and maybe not City Church in particular, but the capital C Church in the world, and maybe you're questioning what it looks like to be a Christian today, or maybe you're not questioning your faith, but you're weighed down by all that's going on in the world. Um, some might say, uh, if you're not in a little bit of distress, you may not be paying attention, which means you're staying off the social media, and you might be healthier than the rest of us, but uh, it can be a mixed bag. Well, believe it or not, uh, pastors can relate to those same questions. What does it look like to be a Christian in this world today? How are we uh, to understand what God is doing in the world? Sometimes you may even wonder if God is doing anything at all. And so I think this is a, a relevant and important passage for all of us this morning. I know it is for me. So uh, here's the word I believe our passage has for us this morning, that for those who walk with Jesus by faith, he will give us in the day-to-day glimpses of his kingdom and redemptive work in such a way that uh, both feed our faith and show us a deeper picture of who he is and what he is doing in the world. So we're going to walk through our passage this morning, John chapter 2. We just read it, uh, the famous passage of Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And we're going to look at three people or groups of people. First, we're going to look at Jesus and see how he is present in our everyday lives. Then we're going to look at Mary and see uh, how she shows us what we are to do in times of lack and of loss. And third, we're going to look at the servants and how they respond to Jesus' commands. If that's helpful to you, those three points we'll walk through together. So let's jump in. First, let's look at Jesus and uh, how he is present in our everyday lives. We'll look again at verses 1 through 3. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when, when the wine had run out, the mother of Jesus said, They have no wine. How many of us can relate to this situation? Uh, the community has gathered. This is a small village. It's only an eight-mile uh, distance from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. And so this helps us understand why Mary was there and why Jesus was invited. His family was most likely known by this family having the wedding, and they walked over. Uh, so the family, friends, the community, the bride and the groom, they're gathered to celebrate this, this wonderful occasion. And just as the party is getting going, they hit a snag. The wine has run out. And if you've ever thrown a party, it can be true today, just as it was then. The, the wine was sort of uh, the life of the party. It helped people to relax, to connect, to tell stories, uh, to feel connected. And so this was a major catastrophe for the family, for their reputation. It would be a deep embarrassment to them. Um, 
again, maybe you can relate to these things. Uh, in February, my family and I had the opportunity to go on a vacation to Hawaii. It was, uh, it was awesome. Uh, this is a place, uh, as a pastor, I sort of had written off. This is not a place I'm ever going to get to go. But through a, a series of circumstances, God made it very clear that he made uh, this vacation possible. Um, we were ecstatic. This was February. It was the very month after we had left our church that we loved, and, and uh, this felt like a gift from God in the midst of a difficult situation. Uh, but upon landing in Hawaii, we uh, were told that our 10-year-old son would need to quarantine uh, based on a, 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 um, what we would call a technicality of the quarantine system. Uh, they were just doing their job, but because of a misunderstanding, uh, we were told our 10-year-old would need to stay in the apartment for 90% of this incredible trip to Hawaii. Now, um, you might say, hey, you got to go to Hawaii. What are you complaining about? Well, sitting in a hotel room with my 10-year-old son for five days was not what I had in mind. And so to say we were devastated... Uh, I don't use that word often. I felt, and I believe my wife and I felt, devastated as we had just landed in Hawaii. We were told, hey, if you want to, you can fly to California, get a negative COVID test, and fly back. We said, no, we're not going to do that. Um, so what, are, what do you think the questions were that were racing through my mind, my wife's mind, uh, our children's minds, as we're trying to wrap our head around this? Um, hadn't God given us this incredible gift? Now, as we stand on Hawaiian soil, the rug was being ripped out from underneath us. Uh, this beautiful place that we'd hoped to see and enjoy uh, may have just slipped through our fingers. We were experiencing the tension between uh, the grace and the gift of God and the, the true fallenness and frustration of life. In this fallen world. Where are you experiencing that tension this morning? The tension between the gifts, the graces. If you're a Christian, you have put your faith in Christ. And you know uh, the gifts that we've been singing about. The blood of Christ that was shed for us. That we might come into relationship with God. That makes us sons and daughters of the King. Who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And yet Jesus was very clear that we don't escape the fallen realities of life in this world full of sin. Maybe you're experiencing that tension in your work, in some of your relationships. Maybe you're experiencing it like my friends in disappointment with the church or in this polarized world in which we're living in today where mass shootings seem to happen weekly, daily. Uh, world leaders are being assassinated uh, there's political impotence and cultural polarization. We live, even with our Christian hope, in the tension of this fallen world. So John, in the telling of this story, recounts a very ordinary experience of lack, of loss, of embarrassment. And he reminds us that Jesus is present with us in this fallen world, even if we don't see him. Think about it. We're never told that the master of the feast or the bride and groom or the family members have any idea. In fact, we're told the master of the feast 
has no idea where this water become wine has come from. I'm sure the, the family knew that Jesus was present. They were family friends, but most likely they had no idea that he was the Messiah and that he had anything to do with this gracious sign and miracle. Only Mary, Jesus' disciples, and the servants who filled the jars knew. But Jesus was there at this small wedding in this quaint village in a small, unimportant nation. Reminds me of Jesus, uh, some of Jesus' final words to his disciples recorded at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. He said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, many of us Christians struggle with what's called practical atheism. Right? We, we believe that God exists and we put our faith in Christ. We believe He died on the cross for our sins and rose for our justification. And yet, as we go about our daily lives, we, we live as if there is no God. We live as if Christ has not paid for our sins. We live like orphans in a dangerous world. And in the face of our practical atheism, John tells us the story and reminds us that, that Jesus is present. He is with his disciples in the midst of our everyday lives. And he's promised to be with us no matter what happens. But what are we to do in these frustrating moments? Well, that, that leads us to our second point. Let's take a look at Mary. Let's read again verse 3. John tells us that when the wine had run out, the mother of Jesus said to him, said to Jesus, they have no wine. So what does Mary do uh, at this tense moment? She goes to Jesus. What do we tend to do in our tense moments, our moments of disappointment or tragedy or frustration? Well, if, if you're like me, rather than running to Jesus, we tend to doubt Jesus. We say, God, what are you doing? Or, or do you even care? Are you present in this moment? And this is fascinating. Mary goes to Jesus, tells him the problem, and Jesus gives her the surprising answer. He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, there, there's often some maybe consternation with Jesus addressing his dear mother as woman, but uh, all evidence points to uh, that this was just a, a normal mode of communication. This was neither positive nor negative, simply addressing his mother in everyday terms. But Jesus communicates to her that his attention is understandably focused on his messianic mission. He had come to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God, the, the gracious salvation of the God of Israel. And, and not just to announce it, but to actually accomplish it. And, and the immediate needs or embarrassment of this wedding party has little or nothing to do with that messianic mission at least at first glance, right? He has come to announce what God is doing in the world and not to perform magic tricks. And yet Mary is undeterred. She knows her son, and she knows that he won't be able to resist this cry for mercy, for engagement. What did she expect? Well, we don't know. All we know is that she simply turns <laughs> to the servants says, do whatever he tells you. You see, the bad things, the bad situation that's occurring in this 
uh, wedding party is actually the opportunity for Jesus to work his gracious kingdom power in the life of the celebration. And Mary could see that. And in that response, we got the gift of deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, we won't go too into it. This, is, this passage, like most of the passages about Jesus, you know, could fill hundreds of sermons. But it, there's, no, uh, there's no coincidence that Jesus is at a wedding in John chapter 2. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, he begins his Gospel with the words, In the beginning. Jesus, uh, John, this master literary illusionist, uh, opens his Gospel by connecting us with Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he tells us that Jesus is, in fact, the Word of God, who is God and was with God in the beginning. And there's nothing that has been made or created apart from him. Well, in Genesis chapter 2, we have the story of another wedding, the first wedding. The coming together of our first parents. Um, But that wedding story had uh, a difficult ending, didn't it, in chapter 3. This beautiful creation, this beautiful wedding, this beautiful image of what God created human beings to be and to do, which is to live in perfect harmony and relationship with him and in relationship and harmony with one another and the created order had fallen apart. And so here as John pens his gospel, his telling of Jesus' story, he connects to the beginning to tell us that this is what Jesus has come to do. Not only is he the word of God that created everything that is, but he has come to recreate and to restore and to renew all that has gone wrong. And he has come to a wedding that runs out of wine in order to show that he has come to restore all that was broken in human relationships. And remember what I said about wine, that it's kind of the life of the party. Wine was often connected to or related to the Spirit of God and the Spirit inside of us. And Jesus says, I am coming to bring new life and the Spirit of God into that which was broken. You see, what John is telling us is that Jesus, even in this small little wedding, in this incidental moment, is communicating the incredible breadth and beauty of what God has sent him into the world to do. But also... (laughs) When Mary makes this request, she has no idea what Jesus will do. She simply tells him the situation. Son, they have run out of wine. And even in his objection, again, she turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. You see, Mary models for us what the Lord wants from all his disciples. And that is simple trust and obedience. She doesn't know what Jesus will do. She doesn't pretend to tell him what he should do. She simply brings the need to him. Um, what's interesting, and what many commentators point out, is that when John writes this retelling of this story, he writes uh, Mary's words in the present tense, right? What we would expect is the past tense, right? Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. But what he writes is actually Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And, and throughout Uh, The ages, the church has understood this to be John, through Mary, communicating to us a command. That this isn't just something Mary said to the disciples or to those servants at the wedding then, but 
she continues to say to us, and the Spirit of God continues to say to us, this is what you are to do in your day-to-day lives, especially when you experience hardship or crisis. Do whatever he tells you. Because isn't it true that often we have no idea what to do in difficult times? Um, Especially in these days when the world seems to be turning upside down in so many ways, both in our personal lives and in the world around us, we become overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the news, what's on the news, the heartbreak, the injustice, the sin that seems to be running around rampant, the sin that we also see inside of us. Mary helps us to keep it simple. Just do what he tells you to do. You don't know what to do. You don't have the power or the wisdom to know what to do in this moment, but he does. So trust him and do whatever he tells you. So rather than run from Jesus, which is often what we choose to do in these moments of crisis, Mary shows us that we are to run to Jesus and to listen to him. So one question is, where do we hear the voice of Jesus? What does it mean for us today to run to Christ? And I would say it's in those ordinary places in the scriptures, by reading, by hearing, by going to hear faithful preaching of the gospel, and in prayer, not just in speaking, but, but silent prayer where we sit and we listen for the voice of our God. You see, as Jesus' disciples we are to be attentive to, our, to his word, trusting in our hearts, and quick to follow what he says. And that leads us to our third and final point. Let's look at the servants and, and how they respond to Jesus, looking at verses 7 and 8. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out. Take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. First, after acquiescing to his mother's request, notice what Jesus tells the servants to do. Just three simple, ordinary commands. Fill, draw, and take. Again, three simple, ordinary instructions. Nothing too difficult for them. In fact, this was their job. right? To fill the the cups and to take the wine to the people in the wedding. Notice, too, that there's no mention of the miracle, right? What are we amazed with? We're amazed with this idea of of Jesus taking ordinary water and turning it into exquisite wine, and yet John gives us no detail. We're simply told that the servants did as Jesus said. They took these six stone uh, jars uh, meant to hold water for the Jewish rite of purification, right? These were These were the Jewish laws that said, this is how you remain in relationship with God. You are unclean because of your sin. Uh, Do these washing rites, um, and you can stand in right relationship with God. They simply take them, they fill them to the brim, and then somewhere between the filling, the drawing, and the taking, this water becomes wine. And so where is John's emphasis? Not really on the miracle at all, but on the ordinary obedience of a few servants and on the one who gives the command. To me, it's very reminiscent of the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus tells his disciples, 
uh, to feed this incredibly huge crowd with, with the simple resources that they have, right? Just a few fish, a few loaves of bread. He just says, start handing them out. And as they hand out the resources that they have, everyone is full. Jesus does his extraordinary miracles of the kingdom through ordinary people, through ordinary means, and ordinary materials. And of course, this is Jesus' instruction to us. Rather than taking matters into our own hands and trying to figure out uh, how to fix what's going on or how we can remedy things, Jesus asks us for simple, simple, faithful, humble obedience. He doesn't ask them to do the impossible, just calls them to ordinary faithfulness. Trusting Jesus in the face of difficult, painful, and confusing circumstances is what he asks of us. Neither disengagement, because we're so heavenly-minded, nor over-engagement, as if he has called us to fix the problems in the world. You see, the faith of a child says, no matter what is happening in this world, uh, no matter that it's too much for me to understand, I know that my Father in heaven is good and strong and loving, and he will take care of me and everyone, and so I have no need to be afraid. Beloved, the Lord is not asking you to solve or even to fret over everything that's going on in the world today, or even in your own life. Remember Jesus' uh, encouragement and command uh, to his disciples when he said, Who, by worry, will add even an hour to their lives? He knows that we don't have the answers. He knows that we don't have the means in and of ourselves. But that's okay. What he asks of us is to trust, to turn, to listen, and to do whatever he tells us. For many of us, the things that are going on in the world and our own lives today are more than we can handle. And Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he adds to it, Why do you worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear? Your Father in heaven knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Uh, it's kind of cool that, to get to come here a few weeks after preaching that first time and, and telling you about the difficult circumstances in our own family that we, again, stepped away from a church that we love and didn't know. We felt like God had given us the call of Abraham. Go to the place I will show you. Um, and so every day it was an act of faith to get up and do the simple things, the simple acts of obedience, sending emails, making calls, going to appointments, searching for what God had for us. And God remained faithful. He has provided a place for me, for my family, uh, a new adventure and a new town and a new church, and we rejoice in his faithful promise. But this running out of wine happens every day. Jesus' warning and, and instruction to us tells us that we will, we will never be done with running out of wine until he returns. And we go to the new heaven and the new earth. And so, beloved, the temptations uh, before us can often be great uh, to doubt God's goodness. When we look at the world around us, when we, when we struggle with the, the, um, 
the difficulties before us. But remember that the Scriptures are full of stories. This is what the Scriptures are full of. Stories of God's people facing incredible, unsurmountable odds. And yet God, the faithful, powerful one, coming to rescue, to redeem, to comfort, and to save. God again and again shows himself faithful, trustworthy, and true. And so let us trust him. Frederick Bruner says it well. I think we have a quote, maybe. Yeah. Uh, note that John calls this a sign where the other gospel writers call these miracles. Why does John call it a sign? Because signs point to something. Listen to what Bruner says. A sign points, by definition, beyond itself to something more important than itself. For example, in our story, more important than the water become wine is the winemaker in its commencing hour. More important than our own crises is the fact that in them, believers have a guest who cared and cares transformingly. More than important, uh, more important than our simplest obediences is his gracious, their gracious commander and the timely transforming. Beloved, Jesus is with you. He is with us. He is faithful and he is showing us the way. Let us remain faithful pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this story, the story of grace, of wonder, of miracle, of presence. Lord, remind us this day of your love. Remind us this day of your presence and give us faith to walk this week in faithful obedience, denying our practical atheism, and being comforted by your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Every week,